Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point. Welcome to The Point, an opinion show coming to you from Beijing. I'm Li Xin. Exactly how much did the U.S. GDP grow last year? That depends on who you ask. On January the 25th, the Wall Street Journal said the U.S. economy grew 3.1% last year. This is echoed by many other mainstream media. But on the same day, the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis, the authority on the matter, put the number at 2.5%. Which one to believe? With the U.S. media often heading the charge and highlighting worst-case scenario for China's economy, are they doing the opposite when it comes to the U.S. economy? I was joined from London by John Ross, a senior fellow of Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies at Renmin University of China. Let's start with some peculiar phenomenon we observed, or rather you first observed on some of the very reputable media outlets in the West when they talked about the performance of the U.S. economy, because there seems to be some kind of discrepancy between what they have been writing and what the U.S. official institution, which is officially responsible in dis disclosing this kind of number, what they are saying. For instance, the Washington Post reported that uh, um, the U.S. economy, the surprisingly strong U.S. economy, is outperforming all of its major trading partners. Of course, that would include China. The Wall Street Journal, published almost in the same period of time, says U.S. economy grew 3.1 percent last year, but on the same day, the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis under the Ministry of Commerce says real GDP increased 2.5 percent in 2023 for the United States. But that number is somehow overlooked by all of these major news outlets. Well, yes, I mean, there's, there's so many fake news, as they called it, in this statement, for example, by the Washington Post, and it's fairly typical, that it would take quite a long time to deal with them. So let's slowly unpick it, right? As you said, the U.S. Bureau of Economic Analysis, that's the official U.S. agency, was very clear. It said that U.S. GDP growth in uh, 2023 was 2.5%. Well, we can compare that to China's, which is 5.2%, but I'll come back to that in a minute. Right. And that's that's for the whole of the year. So but you have this strange thing whereby a number of U.S. papers all on the same day announced that it was three point one percent. OK, but this is statistical cherry picking, because what it does is it compares the the last quarter of 2023 with the last quarter of 2022. But the point is, the U.S. economy during the first half of the year grew much more slowly than two point five percent. It only grew um, less than two percent during the first half of the year. So, of course, Therefore, if you average out the year, the Bureau of Economic Analysis is a serious statistical agency. So it averages out the two and it comes out with 2.5%. You can't cherry pick and take one part of the year and compare it with another year if it gives you a better number. You've got to look at the year as a whole. So that's the first thing. Uh, could it be possible that they didn't see the 2.5% or by the time they wrote the story, the 2.5% wasn't released yet? They only saw the 3.1%. No, it's absolutely impossible. I mean, you know, I, I know exactly when the GDP statistics in the United States are going to be published. So I'm normally on their website about one minute after they're released or even less to do that. And, and any responsible journalist can do that. And the first thing you'll find out when you look at the growth, the two point uh, 
to for 2023 is it's 2.5 percent you don't have to do any calculation for this incidentally it's just what just what they state you can ju just look it up so that's the first thing that's extraordinary secondly then the claim that it's growing the u.s economy is growing more rapidly than its competitors is simple nonsense because the Chinese economy grew 5.2%. That was announced a few days earlier than the US figure. The US economy is going, growing at 2.5%. So any elementary arithmetic would tell you that China's economy is growing more than twice as fast as the, as the US economy. And, and so it's just complete nonsense. I mean, it's you know liter literally fake news. I mean, as it appeared, simultaneously the same sort of nonsense appeared in several newspapers and one in the US on the same day um, I think somebody plant decided that they want to spin this story somebody very central to it but it's just factually not true and it's it's it's, it's quite astonishing because we're not just talking about one news outlet the wall street journal for instance we're talking about the wall street journal the uh, washington post and we also have the president of the united states retweeting the wall street journal tweet about breaking u.s economy grew 3.1 percent over the last year right as strong consumer spending and hiring upended recession fears so there's no there's no explanation they simply took the number 3.1 percent as the real gdp growth from last year and president biden retweeted that saying today we learned that our economy grew 3.1 percent last year there is no you know explanation there is no nuance just like that whereas actually it's 2.5 percent then well, yes. I mean, even if it had grown by 3.1%, it still wouldn't make it true that the what the Washington Post claimed, that the US economy was growing faster than its competitors. Because even then, you would have US growing at 3.1% and China at 5.2%. But but it's not even true, the 3, 3.1%. But, but incidentally, I mean, this is, it's not merely this year. The whole, if you take the whole period, for example, the pandemic, China's economy has grew by 20.1% during the four years covering the pandemic, because there are lots of short-term fluctuations during the pandemic, so it's better not just to take a very short period of time to get odd results for individual quarters due right. to lockdowns and all that type of thing. But if you take the four years, the uh, US economy grew by 8.1%, and China's economy grew by 20.1%. Uh, so China's economy was going two and a half times as fast as the US. And in fact, actually, the US economy during this period was growing below trends because its its average is almost exactly 2% a year during those four years. And its actual, its, its long-term trend growth is a bit above that 2.1%, 2.3% exactly, I would put it. So it's not doing extremely well. It's doing, it's growing even below its normal trend. It, it's 2023, it was a little bit of love it above its trend but if you take the the whole period it's actually growing below trend so let's be absolutely clear just just um to you know um call a blade a blade so these media were cherry picking the nicer looking number the rosier looking number and try to paint a a, a more positive picture of the u.s economy were they doing that yes they, they were doing it and and they, I don't know whether they're doing it because they deliberately want to spread fake news because they're totally sloppy journalists or whatever they're doing, but it's false claims. In fact, it's, it's only one of a number of sort of delusional claims 
that are appearing in the US um, media at the present time. For example, they're going on and on about how the US stock market is at a record high. Well, that's only true if you don't take into account inflation. It's mad not to take into account inflation. If you take into account inflation, the US, um, in since the last peak before this one, in the, at the end of 2021, the US stock market's gone up by 6.6%, but inflation's gone up by 9.7%. So actually, in real inflation-adjusted terms, the U.S. stock market is not at a record high at all. I mean, if anybody said you should measure wages just by the nominal wages without taking into account inflation, you know this is a statistical trick. Um, and it's the same type of statistical trick. So at the moment, the you have a, a sort of delusional situation in the U.S. media, in which you have deliberately false things. I, I will say deliberately because a lot of them saying that China's economy is growing incredibly slowly and there's a deep crisis and right. so on. And the US economy is growing incredibly fast, but the Chinese economy is growing two and a half times as fast as the US economy over the last few years, more than twice as fast last yeah. year. Where's the crisis in China? It's Where's just the crisis? <laughs> That's the same question I'd be asking because there is this notorious article about who killed the Chinese economy. I'm, I'm pretty sure you saw that too. And I, I asked, you know, in a debate openly, I said, this is ridiculous. What do you mean who killed the Chinese economy? With 5.2% growth, the Chinese economy is not dead. But it seems that the kind of rhetoric is uh, go on the rise these days, especially even when U.S. Uh, um, National Security Advisor uh, Jake Sullivan was talking about uh, U.S.-China relations. He was talking about, see, everybody was talking about China catching up to the U.S. economy. Now, that is something that is uncertain because China's economy is, is you know, experiencing a decline and U.S. economy is on the rise again. Is that kind of assessment objective? Because we do see some kind of statistical trend that the GDP comparison between China's and that of the United States seem to have uh, widened over the past years instead of closing up. This is a nominal GDP because it's caused by high inflation in the US. And there was a quite good comment on this actually because not all Europe, not all Western journalists are spreading this nonsense. But Chris Giles, for example, the economic commentator of the Financial Times, said these were absurd comparisons by pe amongst people who should know better. And I think that that was perfectly adequate. The US has had very high inflation during the last two years. So at its peak, it was over 9%. So, of course, its nominal GDP, that is measured in current prices, has gone up greatly. But this doesn't make the situation better. I mean, look, look at it the following way. Suppose you want to buy a price, a pint of beer for a dollar. And suddenly, after um, after a year, the the, dot, the pint of beer costs you one dollar and ten cents. So you've got ten percent inflation, right? Okay, um, you're no better off. In fact, you're actually worse off because the price has gone up. So, and, and this is just this, these types of just fluctuations in nominal GDP just sort themselves out over a period of time. And, and as what Chris Giles said, is this, this, these types of comparisons are made by people who should know better. That's why you have inflation-adjusted prices. You know, that's why mm -hmm. every every serious statistical agency does it. I mean, the Bureau of Economic Analysis in the United States, when it says 2.5%, doesn't mean that it's 2.5% with inflation. It takes into account inflation. And and so, therefore, the, it, does, it doesn't engage in nonsense such as in declaring... Otherwise, it would have been much higher. 
Yeah, it would have been about five, five, five and a half right. percent, rough, approximately around, mm-hmm. let's say, around five yeah. percent. But they're yeah. serious. They're, they're serious people. They don't claim it's grown at five percent. They yeah. say it's grown at two point five percent. So this this type of thing is just pure nonsense. Yeah. Let's take a closer look at the Chinese economy, though. Um, It is in a transition. It is experiencing some difficulties, and you highlighted some of the difficulties. And you uh, particularly point to the drop of uh, industrial companies' profits instead of consumption. Why do you think this is the main challenge that China is faced with instead of uh, slagging consumption that some people are calling to be shored up. For instance, the chief economist of Financial Times said Chinese people need to go out and enjoy themselves and consume more. But you don't think that is the way out? Well, I'm, I'm all in favour of going and consuming more, but you've got to be able to sustain this consumption. So again, let's, let's just put in a few figures. Right. Retail sales in China last year went up by just over 7%. That, that's strong growth. I mean, that's, you can't, you don't want to go higher than that because you'll just sort of be generating inflation, right? But if you look at the measure of industrial profits, there's two ways you can look at it. One is you can take the total profits. In that case, they went down by, industrial profits, they went down by 8.5%. Okay, the point there is you have a number of companies, because this is measured by companies with uh, revenues of more than 20, uh, 20 million won. So that number is affected by some companies came over 20 million won, some companies went bankrupt, uh, et cetera, et cetera. I, I actually think it's the best because these companies contracting, expanding is part of the, you know, the whole process of profitability. But you can do it another way. You can instead say, take the same group of companies and compare one year with another. But in that case, it's still the case that uh, profits went down by over 3%. And so therefore you've got a situation where consumption has risen really rather strongly, but profits has gone down. But the profits then have two inevitable consequences. It will have a negative effect on private investment because private investment only takes place in order to make profits. And it will have a negative effect on share prices because if if profits are not going up, the the stock market shouldn't go up. That you know the most elementary economic analysis would tell you this, and therefore there has been some knock-on effect with with not not good performance. How, how do you? Yeah. How do you reconcile the two trends, though, that the Chinese economy grew by 5.2 percent, but profits went down by as much as 8 percent if you took, take a look at the, those large enterprises or, or 2.3 percent if you look at the consistent uh, earnings of the same companies? How do you reconcile these two trends, though? Well, it's shown that there is a profit squeeze taking place in the economy. There, are, there will be a number of factors which are involved in this. One will be in, increase in wages going above GDP growth rate, which is not sustainable over a long period of time. It can be interest rates. It can be changes in taxation. Uh, there'll be a number of things which dealt with this. And, and you've got to deal with these, therefore, by policies to deal with this. One is, uh, I, I personally think that the, there's a necessity for cutting interest rates. Not, not everybody agrees, but that's my personal view, because that will aid uh, the, the profitability of companies in the very short term. Uh, some adjustments in taxation may be made. And then you've got to have a situation in the long run. Income has to be sustained by GDP growth. You, if you have the economy, if you have incomes going up rap- much more rapidly than GDP growth, then you will get inevitably a profit squeeze. So I, I think that that is the crucial thing, that, that, that consumption was rather strong last year, but profitability was not good, and that, that needs to be mm. sorted out.
Many thanks, John Ross, Senior Fellow of Chongyang Institute for Financial Studies of Renmin University of China, joining us from London. Thank you very much. We will take a short break, and when we come back, AI model Sora has shocked the world by generating imaginative scenes from text-to-video prompts. Are groundbreaking AI technologies at risk of exploitation unless we can regulate them? Stay tuned. Making room for all opinions and seeing events from more than one side. This is the point. Is the future in the hands of artificial intelligence? Recently, one name has been on the lips of everyone: Sora, a text-to-video tool which generated the one-minute video of a woman walking down a nighttime street in Tokyo. The clip. Unveiled by OpenAI, the San Francisco startup, which also launched ChatGPT, sent instant shockwaves around the world. While the inception of Sora excites many, the question looms: What kind of uncertainty will the technology bring to our future? Authorities around the world, including China, the U.S., and EU, are scrambling to mitigate the potential risks through regulation. So, what kind of action is needed to keep Sora and its counterparts a force for good? What stands in the way of international collaboration given the current geopolitical tensions? I was pleased to be joined by Professor Zheng Yi, member of the United Nations Advisory Body on AI, and Stephen Hoffman, expert on AI innovation strategy. CEO and Chairman of Founders Space. Now, in terms of regulation, which is my focus, what kind of specific challenge is such revolutionary te technology posing to regulators, Professor Zheng? As a both technical and governance researchers of AI, I will never have interest to talk to a fake Liu Xin, a digital Liu Xin. <laughs> This is a real one. I promise you. Because we have humanities、uh, underlying that. Well, on the other side, we do see the progress of、uh, of AI. Now it can generate very smooth uh, digital uh, videos. Well, the real challenge now is that now you cannot say seeing is believing. What you see is. Probably not true.、Mm. Uh, in most cases, it might be fake. So this is the real challenge. So in this way, actually, the good part is that it can be used, you know, to digital、uh, media, to entertainment. That is the good part to reduce the human,、uh, what human has to do, and to assist human beings. Well, the downside is really that for the global trust. And many of the issues、uh, related to, you know, safety、uh, issues. That that is the real challenge. It has challenge to digital forensics. It has to challenges to, you know, the police. So、um, to creating、uh, fake information and also to create fake information during gl、uh, global or national votes. So we really need,、uh, you know, both the national governance and also the international governance、yeah. for a、uh, video, both. Video and textual、mm -hmm. generative AI. Yeah,、uh, Stephen, what are the major concerns in your part of the? I mean, in, in the United States, in Western countries, developed countries. Do you think there are major differences in this regard in terms of the perceived risks? You know that can be、uh, brought about with this、uh, technological progress. Yes. So in Silicon Valley, people are very bullish on AI. I mean, people in general. 
believe that AI is the future, and the U.S. government will not put the brakes on the development of artificial intelligence because everyone is afraid of falling behind. So the risks, though, are enormous. So we, right now, with artificial intelligence, you can create video that is indistinguishable from real video. And this will only get better. Now, these videos still have a few telltale signs mm -hmm. that it's not real. If you look very closely, most people won't look closely. But if you do, you can tell. But in the future, though, even those small signs will go away. So people are worried in a number of areas. Number one, it's going to put a lot of people out of work. I mean, think of how many people work in creating videos, creating content, the whole oh, hosting talk industry. shows. <laughs> exactly. You know, all that can be done now with simply typing in keywords. And the videos are absolutely amazing. They come out fully edited with camera angles and everything else. And they're going to be able to layer on music and voice. So where we're headed, there'll be an impact on jobs. There will be an impact on in, in the West. We're very concerned with democratic elections and what that means in the West. And if you can simulate anything, you know, campaign things, if you can put out negative videos about a political candidate right before an election, who's to stop you? And these videos can go viral. Mm. And then fraud. Imagine your relative calling you up with your voice, maybe their image, and saying, I'm in dire trouble. I need money. Send me money. But you yeah. cannot tell the voice or the image from your mother, your father. Yeah. And so you wire them money. Okay. There are many, many scenarios sure, like sure. that. Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi talked about China's wish to have a, an UN body, UN institution set up in terms of AI governance. And I have not heard uh, other countries, especially major countries such as the United States or, or European countries, echo this idea. Why does China particularly want that? And what's the difference between an AI governance body under the UN and the UN advisory body, high-level advisory body to which you are a member, Professor Zeng? Actually, the challenge of AI is everywhere. Well, as you can see, now we have some domestic regulations and institutions. We have some regional uh, networks. But actually, what really matters is that how can we deal with this in a global manner? What is the interoperability among these regional networks and also these different countries. For that, we need a global coordination mechanism. So we need a tracked record who should be believed to do, you know, the the global uh, coordination uh, of technology of this of the society and also of AI. So in, in that case, I think uh, the Chinese government believe that the UN system is the right place to do the global coordination. N not really to say that the UN system should take care of everything, but the role of the UN system on AI should coordinate should coordinate the regional networks in a more effective way and not re and also also to coordinate member states on interoperabilities, on exchanges, on sharing of risk and, and dealing with risks uh, all together. So I think by that it cannot be solved by regional networks. So th that is the role mm -hmm. uh, for UN. So yeah. I, and I, the track record uh, means uh, the Chinese government uh, is based in to, to support uh, the UN system. Yeah. Yes. Um, Professor Hoffman, it seems that uh, some other countries do not necessarily 
actually um, share the idea or are not very excited about it at this stage. We uh, know that there was a G7 meeting in Hiroshima last year where G7 countries reached some kind of a comprehensive you know, framework about AI governance. Um, is there this kind of idea that developed countries are going to do their job in terms of AI governance uh, with their values and developing countries doing a different you know, system? Are we going to see a, a, an, another raise for dominance potentially here? So what we're seeing now is there's a lot of talk about governance and I personally feel a global governance is a very important thing. But in reality, the countries that are ahead in AI are not going to slow down because the countries that are leading the way see it to their greatest advantage to have the most powerful AI because if they have the most powerful AI in the world, then even if there's a cyber attack or there's other disruptions, they will be in a position to use that AI to thwart those attacks. But if they dial back the development, then they risk somebody else promising. So, so they, are, they are producing something that can be weaponized and they want to weaponize that technology to use against that weapon. <laughs> this is crazy. Well, imagine this, yes. So people are afraid, right? Because we know AGI is coming and that and super intelligence is coming. And at that point, AI will be so powerful that literally the ones who control it control everything. So they want to make sure they're first to that end goal. Yeah, but, but the United the States, way, yeah, the United States is keen on talking to China in terms of AI, which is a good thing, right? The two leaders agree to that and they have already started engaging. What is the importance of that and what should be really the focus here? Professor Hoffman, really quickly, please. I think it's really important to have this dialogue because at the root of it is fear and distrust. We need to overcome that if we're going to form any sort of cooperative framework. Okay, and uh, Professor Zeng, what are China and the United States going to talk about, going to focus on in terms of AI governance? For both countries, if one of the countries does not really develop AI in a safe way, it will be very dangerous to the other side. So this is why both the US and China has to talk to each other to remove all the AI safety issues altogether and to build a joint safety framework so okay. that it benefits for all, all humanity. Right. Um, quickly, yes or no, Stephen, shall I have a digital mini-me? You will have to in the future, unavoidable. <laughs> shall I do it fast enough now then? You should get ahead of the game. Oh my goodness, let me think about it. Many thanks, Stephen um, Hoffman, founder, CEO of uh, Founder Space and uh, Professor Zeng Yi from the UN High Advisory Body on AI. And with that, we come to the end of this edition of The Point with me, Liu Xin. As always, you can follow me on Facebook and Twitter using the handle Liu Xin in Beijing. On behalf of the whole team, thank you for joining us. You've got The Point.